Net-A-Porter presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 5, The Rule Breakers. So I saw some pictures of you at London Fashion Week. Mm, yeah. I mean, how are you finding dressing the bump for that? Actually, this time round, um, probably because I've not been so heavily pregnant during a fashion week before, this is my first time, designers have been really, really, like, lovely like to wear. Like, things like Chet Lowe, um, Molly Goddard. Actually, yeah, London designers have really... Um, done me a solid well, I did see the cherub the cherub on the belly yeah the Molly. cherub on the belly from Molly was that was that was the highlights yeah <laughs> I didn't actually even realize until I put it on and I was like oh there's a baby on my belly <laughs> welcome to the new series of the incredible woman podcast this season we are talking to women who are breaking the rules and crushing boundaries consider them radicals or mavericks and prepare to be inspired by their journeys I'm Kay Barron, and I'm thrilled to be joined by the brilliant Susie Lau, fashion writer, consultant, founder, and commentator. One of the original fashion bloggers, she launched Style Bubble in 2006 while working in media. And it quickly became one of the most read and talked about blogs of its time. Her voice broke through, for not only is she a talented writer who approached fashion journalism with a wit and knowledge, but it is the utter joy that she finds in clothes and dressing up that set her apart. Often the first to celebrate young talent, using her huge Instagram following to give them invaluable exposure, whilst also breathing new life into long-established brands who understand the power that her energy and influence offers. Welcome, Susie. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? That was quite the intro. (laughs) I feel a little bit emotional. Oh, good. I aim to flatter at the beginning, so then uh, then we continue on that on that note. Could just be the eight months pregnant hormones, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fine. You can just listen to that on repeat now. Yeah, I know. That will make me, like, make my heart sore. Um, all deserved. Um, but first of all, we clearly consider you to be a rule breaker. But what does that mean to you? And do you consider yourself to be one? I think the rule breaking part, maybe comes from feeling not quite like fitting in um I wasn't like super super smart or I didn't feel like I was gonna really like excel at that um I I I think if you're in a really competitive environment you know you just kind of feel like you're you can end up feeling a bit like you're a mediocrity I think in terms of when I started the blog, to me, I've always found like the internet and I came of age, you know, when like when I was 12, I taught myself HTML because I just like found opportunities um, in the internet that was really exciting. Like, oh, being able to like create my own website and set up a Sailor Moon fan page in like two hours. That was really cool and exciting. And at the heart of it, I think I'm a real geek. So setting up the blog wasn't so much about rule changing, but more um, just kind of exploring a space. I think I'm just naturally a very curious person and want to like just try things and even if you know it's a complete failure at least I tried it. Well I think the internet gave everyone so many opportunities because suddenly it just opened the world. Exactly and and I I think from you know from that kind of 12 year old in the bedroom 
uh, just typing away. I carried that through to in my 20s when I started the blog on the side of um, a very boring media job. I was doing, you know, doing the blog like in my lunch hour, before work, after work. Um, and I never thought I could work in fashion. Like it just wasn't my world at all. Like I, I didn't go to art school. I wasn't connected with that kind of creative side of London. The blog was really kind of like my secret gateway into that and looking at it from, I guess, from an outsider's perspective as well. Which I think is probably what resonated with people at the beginning. Because it was for you, it was to open up, which, well, whether that was intention or not, it did open up a new community to you. Totally. And at the time, I think um, in the blogosphere, as we call it, or blogging 1.0, commenting, you know, it was that era of like people going on forums and really being engaged in a topic, even if they weren't part of that world. And it was like the kind of nascent era of like self-publishing. So people were really encouraging of everyone's like voices, like and cheering each other on and going, oh, you have a blog. I'll check it out and I'll comment on your blog and you comment on mine. And it was like this sort of uh, funny camaraderie and, um, you know, people like Brian Boy uh, came from that same generation of, of, of fashion blogging and, you know, I've made so many amazing friends, I think, from that generation. And we all kind of like, now, I think it's so funny. I think people maybe from like a younger generation of, let's say, TikToks, TikTokers or newer content creators probably look at us like how we looked at editors and print journalists. Yeah, well, it, it moved so quickly, though, didn't it? It's so funny. Yeah, I think you kind of see that sort of changing landscape at shows, you know. Going back to Style Bubble, when did you realise that the platform was becoming bigger than you'd ever considered it to be? It was funny. It happened so quickly. I think probably because at the time, um, fashion blogging really was just getting started. And I think fashion media very quick to pick up on things in general you know it's it's by nature of our industry we pick up on trends very quickly and so uh, it got a lot of media attention really mm. with within the first year and even though like it wasn't like I had like loads and loads of visitors but then the, yeah the numbers just kind of yeah kept on growing quite rapidly after like about a year I was like asked to come on board at Dazed to edit their website which they had an incarnation of but they really wanted to like grow it and do a different version of it so I think it was really like trying to get in the early doors of um, digitizing everything which you're still doing but how do you how would you describe your your career now and does anyone use the word blogger anymore I am all for bringing the word blogger back there is a return for a love of long form like if we think about like just the appetite for podcasts and how forensic the detail of subject matter can be on any kind of podcast. I think for writing, you know, and content creating, there should, yeah, there kind of should be a return to long form. Yeah, I might start, maybe maybe I might start like a, a Substack newsletter and send out like a 3,000 word thing every month. You've got, well, you've got plans. I think you're going to be a bit busy. 
<laughs> amongst other things. Yeah. yeah, no, I I have been like feeling this itch to I think maybe go back into you know just doing my own thing. Even though I write for lots of different people and content kind of do content creation for like different brands and things. I think having ownership over your own voice is more important than ever and I think maybe I feel a bit more confident about what I have to say I think for a few years maybe maybe just after I had Nico actually you know I had maybe a little bit of a blip where I felt like oh what what do I actually have to say and the world felt very like noisy and it felt like there was just lots going on and yeah I did kind of like kind of withdraw a little bit you know and I was getting maybe even a bit tired of Instagram like and and obviously that conversation is still raging on with you know the changes that the platform has seen and new platforms coming in so yeah there's been a lot of food for thought but I feel finally I don't you know um yeah this probably doesn't yeah it doesn't it doesn't reflect on my social media I don't talk about it a lot but I think every writer goes through like kind What's of insecurity yeah, yeah blips of confidence and writer's block extreme writer's block <laughs> we all know about that and I think when you've kind of clocked up a certain amount of time in the industry I think you sometimes just have to reassess what you want. And I think, as I said at the beginning, that it's your style and the way that you enjoy fashion that I think has, that's what cut through as well. And I feel like that's something that you still haven't lost um, the energy for at all. I mean, I, I get very <laughs> excited about yeah. clothes still, which is like a little bit embarrassing. Not at all. I love it. I'm I'm exactly the same. For a woman like nearly approaching 40. It's just, you know what? I just, I I am a real kind of clothes maven. You know, I just, I, I, I love like new things, but then old things. I love textiles, I love textures. It's actually the physical entity of it that I really enjoy and the ritual of getting dressed, how things make you feel. I often think that our industry doesn't, you know, focus on like how clothes actually make you feel, like that aspect of it. You know, we I think we talk more about, you know, how it makes you look and what that projects to the outside world. But like, what does it actually make you feel internally? And it's something I thought about a lot, actually, during the pandemic, because we weren't seeing anyone and we weren't going out. And the idea of like clothes um, kind of almost being like a form of therapy. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I would I'd have to put shoes on and kind of dress up each day because mm. because otherwise I couldn't like kind of snap into the mood for work either yeah and I just loved kind of going into my wardrobe space and just kind of even if I wasn't trying anything on it was just more like to like look at things touch things and feel like okay yeah you know there's a reason why I have these crazy <laughs> crazy crazy gowns like okay I'm not wearing them that much but they're here for a reason and that makes me feel good 
And yeah, maybe not everyone feels uh, as strongly as about Lame as I do. <laughs> or Lurex. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Tinsel there are many. textures. <laughs> <laughs> but I think sometimes going into your wardrobe, or I find this, is like looking at a photo album. Mm, because it's yes. like the memories you have of something and you know and if those things that make you happy or sometimes those things you look at thinking oh god I remember what happened when I wore that totally but I, yeah I'm not into fashion mistakes I'm like everything is there for a reason like <laughs> even if you look back at it and you kind of slightly cringe and wince you're like oh well there was, it, it happened for a reason like I was looking back at some photos from um, some indie sleaze throwback photos and I was like oh god why did I wear that but fun at the time it's okay and also in about four years time then that will be the next when I mean, we're doing indie sleeves again now but it'll come back it's yeah it's yeah, all again. cyclical yeah yep. yeah so there's nothing to be ashamed of because in the future if somebody will really want that from your closet what would be your desert island outfit oh gosh this question when i saw it i was really stumped like just one you get one or you get one look or you can get one collection from one designer one collection, one designer. Hmm. Can I have one designer? You can have one designer. <laughs> Just to make things easier. Um, I'm going to go for Simone Rocha only because I do have a lot of her clothes, like from early collections to recent ones. And I think it'd be, she'd be quite, be quite comfortable, pretty and beautiful on a desert island. So and uplifting. Uplifting, exactly. Yeah. So all the elements that I'd need on a desert island if I was um, really stuck. You have supported a lot of young talent from the beginning of your career. But what is it that attracts you to a new brand or designer? I think in that initial energy, especially when a designer is in their graduate stages or they've just graduated, you know, it's like their vision is probably its most extreme because they can get away with it. And I'm always attracted to, yeah, like I don't like kind of middle of the road type aesthetics. I do like, I do tend to like sort of extreme or um, very strong visions. So I think when a designer is first starting out, they can really explore that. They can afford to explore that. Um, and But when you see things from the beginning and then you track them through, their careers like someone like Simone or Christopher Kane like you know you remember those beginnings and then you see how far they've come that's really exciting and kind of yeah really amazing like, I, I can't believe these guys are you know they've um, knocked up like a decade I know they've really endured but also their visions they've stayed true to their visions from the beginning as well exactly and the ones that have longevity tend to not deviate too much and you know they really know what they're all about and I kind of like seeing how that happens especially at the beginning and not that I, I don't I mean I don't make a thing of like mentoring people but yeah to try and I guess speak to people and offer them some advice but I think you know that's that's the other thing it's the confidence of knowing the experiences you've had the brands you've worked with and you are an expert. I, I don't know about expert, but I definitely, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, and 
obviously on the business side of things, it has changed a lot. The retail side, wholesale, you know, all of that. But I think from a creativity standpoint and like what people, how people communicate their vision, especially today with social media, um, there's like the space is even more exciting, I think, for young designers to really like express themselves and speak to their audience. I think we talk a lot about community when we talk about young designers now and young designers finding their community and they can kind of do that without um, media even intercepting. They can, but I think also the the flip side of that is that there are so many of them. There's a lot of brands. Beyond fashion weeks, you know, people can just start a brand and it can just come out of nowhere. And I think for me, like, I, I think I'm about filtering, you know, what what really resonates and what seems a little bit like too of the moment. I was going to ask you about the new Vanguard brands for this season on mm. Nesporte. So they include Miss Sohi and Grace Ling. But what is it about them that you think sets them apart? Well, I think Miss Sohi is just, and like a, 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 quite a few designers, you know, she's really explored that demi-couture world in a really interesting way and it's funny to think that young designers are going into this kind of made-to-order space and she's just got a very very kind of um, visual aesthetic that really works obviously on social media but um, they're just very beautiful clothes Mm. yeah and also feels like she's a bit of a rule breaker in the way that there always seem to be rules about couture and demi-couture and you know your experience Mm. and when you can and can't get into it um so I like the fact that people are ignoring that and then just they're moving forward with what they think is right for them Mm. and designers it's about designers setting their own pace as well the whole thing about doing demi-couture is that you know they don't have to be like beholden to like this many collections this many seasons a year and when we talk about making too much stuff I think young designers are like very cognizant about what are they actually adding to this world? Like what does, what, what value are their collections bringing in general to the industry? For obviously a lot of designers were showing on Instagram and they still use that as a, as a main platform. It's their primary tool, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's your kind of primary social platform mm. now. And you've got over 600,000 followers, which is Hmm. crazy but how does that how do you feel about about that and kind of you know that level of engagement that you have Hmm. and the pressure to kind of like update that and post I still treat it very much as a personal platform although most people will probably think of it as more like almost like a media platform in itself and but I think it's, it's the fact that it is personal and there's a lot of personal content on there that makes me mm. that just that made me ask the question because I think a lot of people do keep the you know whether they have two accounts so that they keep it very um, separate yeah I did think about actually at one point kind of um, divvying up so that there was like a more very fashion centric uh, more like kind of a media type of platform and then one that was more personal, like a sort of private uh, account for, especially because I, uh, you know, put pictures up of Nico. But I think I'm very comfortable with like what I share and there's a lot of things that I don't <laughs> share. Absolutely. And I'm not, I'm also not 
always on social media in that hi guys so today I'm you know having a latte and uh you know this is what I bought you know it's not it's that preview of your TikTok voice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah does that sound good yeah I'm into it <laughs> is that engaging um yeah you know what I'm just not that kind of confessional kind of type of content creator that like and I don't I don't tend to talk about like sort of very personal problems through my platforms. You know, I'm really there to like mostly cheerlead, celebrate fashion and or like celebrate things that I'm very passionate about. You know, it doesn't have to be fashion. There's, you know, I have, I do take the responsibility of using my platform to, um, talk about things that I you know that I feel very strongly about uh whether it's like abortion rights or uh during the pandemic obviously the stop Asian hate movement I yeah I I did experience it firsthand like I was on a bus I think I was taking Nico to her dad and uh, a woman was just saying you you shouldn't be out like you shouldn't be out on the bus like like that she thought that I'd be carrying the virus. It's just crazy. The ignorance of it is just revolting. Um, yeah, you know, I've had like friends like go running in the park and Asian, you know, they're Asian, and then people just randomly yelling at them, going, "You did this!" <laughs> like, and it's a very um, so it was in part kind of spurred on by you know what happened during the pandemic but I think it was also part of this um broader movement of and maybe following on from Black Lives Matter I think uh as a culture that we uh, tend to just want to kind of put our heads down blend into the background assimilate mm. just get on with things be grateful. And that's something that's taught by definitely my parents' generation. You know, when they came to this country, they're just overall like very much like, okay, just don't do anything to, um, you know, shake shake things up too much, you know, just get on with things and this, this hard work ethic thing. And I think a lot of us, especially in my generation and younger, felt differently. And... Uh, and now we're suddenly seeing, I think, maybe our culture celebrated in a myriad of ways. And that's, and that's lovely, you know. I, I, and I, I am very, very tied to my, my Hong Kong heritage and speaking about things that um, a lot of my audience like feel really, really resonate with as well. Mm. And also I think that, that you can use your community to kind of rally for that as well. Um, that I, I I mean it's it's incredible. I mean awful that something so extreme has to usually kickstart these things. Mm. Um, but but you so you are seeing changes for the better. It becomes a positive thing where suddenly there's an interest in just you know talking about wider aspects of our culture, like beyond crazy rich Asians. Was that or, like educating people? Yeah, like and and just an, a, a real interest or like even when I get commissioned to write about, oh, can you write about uh, like, 
you know, the traditions but you know, of, of Chinese New Year, but in a more detailed way, like beyond just saying gong hei fat choy at people. You know, like, and I, and I take that responsibility, like, really seriously because um, nobody wants to have stereotypes constantly floating around. And I think it's nice that there's nuance. There's, it's always good to have nuance, isn't it? To have, like, detail, to go into things that yeah it doesn't seem like just one facet yeah one note and I think the like is that education point mm. and it's people willing to well, well look on different you know they, they might come to you expecting something else but the fact that they're going away with that knowledge I think is really powerful actually sometimes those things do like resonate even more like than fashion like sometimes people I, I get dms all the time going like oh I love it when you uh, just talk about things outside of fashion and now that I also have a column in ES magazine you know and I can kind of explore you know things outside of fashion there too kind of picking up on living in London multicultural city different dynamics things that I've observed those things those things are part of life part of like what we what we go through you're very influential in lots of people's lives and people come to you for whether that's style inspiration or your journalism but who have been the biggest influences in your life definitely other journalists who happen to also be friends as well like so people like Alex Fury who I did know for who I have known for a really really long time peers so like it's not like people that like are very very far removed from me but it's more like people that I've seen firsthand and how hard they work and you know if you're in the backstage scrum like how Sarah Moa like really just gets to like the nub of it like you know seeing people like that at work or Tim Blanks when he just like interviews people off the cuff and just manages to ask the most pertinent questions like it's so inspiring like to see and that's why they're like kind of voices that you really really respect and they've also they're all carved out their own paths not not one of them has a career like the others exactly exactly so those are the kind of careers that I am really like very much not that I want to emulate but it's very inspiring to see up close and then, yeah, people like my friends, like when I look at Brian, for instance, he's, you know, become a TikTok star and he's like kind of gone, taken on a plat- another platform with gusto. And, and we have these like very lengthy discussions about, you know, where things are going, where media is going. And uh, it's actually just been announced. He's, he's now editor-in-chief of Perfect Magazine. You know, so he's... Who is he? Yes. I missed that news. Okay. It literally just got announced, announced today. And, you know, so going back into that print world and bringing his kind of digital nous to that. Yeah, you know, it's... When I see, I think, rather than, like, uh, looking up to someone that I have don't know or haven't um, had the pleasure of knowing someone, like, very far away, I love kind of just absorbing the energy of people that I see on my in my day-to-day work life. And obviously you're incredibly busy anyway with this day-to-day work life, but then you decided to um, open a bubble tea and waffle spot. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> tell me, tell me, up. tell me about that. So that was a bit of a lockdown spur of the moment. Uh, oh, I'm not traveling anymore. 
oh, I'm in Stoke Newington a lot. Maybe I'll just, oh, there's this empty shop. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just go and open it. Yeah, Are you somebody that has to do something all the time? I am very, yeah, fidgety. Okay. Like, I, active. I, I, active. I, yeah, I, I think, and, you know, I had a, I have a business partner. Obviously, it's not just me doing it. And, and my parents, I grew up in the food and business, you know, F and B. Um, a food and beverage, sorry, uh, world where because I grew up above a Chinese takeaway, so I know kind of you know first hand got first hand experience of that. So in my head, I thought it was going to be quite easy and just fun and something like, oh yeah, let's like test these flavors and like let's test this cookie and um, it's still a very it's like a very small kind of business and it's, not- it's just something fun. What is a rule that you've never lived by? And is there a rule that you that you wish you'd been able to break when you were younger? So funny because I I mean, I feel like growing up I did live by a lot of rules. I think letting criticism wear me down in my twenties, yeah, probably. I wish I hadn't done that. Because I spent so much of my twenties just racked with anxiety. Um but in your 20s, you're still very young. And I think mm. when you're in it, you don't think you are very young. But you, I mean, and, and then having to learn some of the hardest life lessons at that age is But I think it was because really when I when I started the blog, I was like 22. So I think I really had to develop that thick skin very quickly because, you know, as we know, lots of keyboard warriors out there. And, uh, you know, I think I've been very used to that process of just listening, you know, just reading everything and then obsessing over it and then kind of going into a wormhole about, oh, no, like, what have I done? You know, and I've really had to try and kind of shake that off because everyone will have their own opinion. You can't please everyone. And finally, who is a rule breaker or person challenging the status quo who's inspired you the most? I'm going to say, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to be super boring and, and just think about like friends, people who have pivoted, you know, piv- you know, people who really like just go from one thing to the other. You know, it's. It used to be that if you were like a jack of all trades, master of none, that wasn't very well respected. But I think we are literally a society of like polymaths at the moment. I think people are very brave when they've gone down one path and thought, actually, hang on a second, this isn't right for me, and then moved into something else. And I, when I see it firsthand, it's even more inspiring. So I obviously talked about Brian, but the, you know, then I think about. Tina Craig, who was also a generation of blogger from my era, she had this blog bag snom, and now she's got a beauty empire of you beauty. Stockton Net Porter, that's where I get it from. Very, very well done, Susie. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, like, and that's wild to me. I'm like, what? You're afraid? And she'll be on WhatsApp going, I'm raising funds for blah, 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 blah. And I've got billboards up in LA, and it's like, wow, it's mad. And, Yeah, I think, you know, when you have those kind of possibilities of entrepreneurship, 
Yeah, it it just it, it it makes the world seem much more exciting, you know. Like it, I I don't know. It gives me hope somehow. I know that sounds really cheesy, but it does. It does. It's exciting because people can people are making anything happen, and it feels like anything is possible. And I think right now, you know, maybe post pandemic, when people are like really reassessing about what they want to get out of life, like if they want to pivot entirely and do something completely different, that's amazing and they can do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. The Rule Breakers was brought to you by Netta Porte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Netta Porte's content director, Alice Casely Hayford and fashion director, Kay Barron. The team at Netta Porte was Katie Barrington as the senior editor with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The producer at Chalk and Blade was Fatuma Keira, and the managing producer was Laura Hyde. Original music by Alexis Adimora, and the series was mixed by Nasson De Silva. Enter the code RULEBREAKERS at the checkout for 10% off your first net porte order. T's and C's and exclusions apply. To make sure you hear all the episodes, Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to netaporte.com.